Welcome to r slash malicious compliance, where OP takes a very interesting Zoom call. Our next Reddit post is from Rainier Cherries. There are two important background things to know for this story. One, I was diagnosed with a rare ovarian cancer at the beginning of this year. I had surgery and some chemo, and I'm mostly recovered now. I still have to go in for frequent testing and occasional monitoring. I'm a very private person, to the extent that I've dated people for years without even telling my parents. So you had best believe that random coworkers and bosses are unaware of my medical history. Two, I attend a university that has an ambassador program. Basically, if you have a high enough GPA, then you're able to interview for the program, and if you get in, they pay for your tuition during your time as an ambassador. In exchange, you work five hours a week and you work for graduation and other events. I'm one of these ambassadors. This is my story. Law and order sound effect. Bonk, bonk! My supervisor for the ambassador program, Mrs. M, has spent the majority of our time together belittling me. As I sit here about to type about her, I find myself already exasperated thinking about reliving some of the details. So I'll be short and sweet for both your sake and mine. She follows every rule to the letter and leaves no room for collaboration or discussion. As an example, we use Microsoft Teams for communication, and she has us clock in and out in a group of 20 people by saying, I'm here, and I'm leaving. So, every day, you have to scroll through dozens of messages of, I'm here, and I'm leaving, to find anything that's important. And listen to notification sounds every time someone so much as takes a lunch break. I suggested using the time clock function on Teams, and I even offered to set it up for us. But I was told that I was, quote, deliberately undermining my position. Another quick example is her vehemence when I told her that I didn't have any social media. She was certain that I was lying, and even went so far as to ask the other ambassadors to try to find me online. They didn't. There's nothing to find. Crazy concept. I've challenged her at a couple of junctures, but ultimately realized that I was fighting a losing battle and I'd be better off keeping my head down. Fast forward to four days ago, Friday. There's a mandatory virtual event in three days, Monday, where the dean of the college would talk to the ambassadors, as well as livestream the event to the college's website and YouTube page. Mrs. M sent out a message that I'll copy and paste here, because the formatting is so dramatic that it makes me chuckle. Students must have their cameras on and phones off. Repeat, phones off, cameras on. Like, come on, lady, bolds, caps, or italics. Your email almost gave me a stroke. I follow up with her the same day. Mrs. M, unfortunately, I'll be at a doctor's appointment at this time, and I'll be unable to turn my camera on during the event. I got no response. I sent another email to follow up. No response. The day of the event rolls around. I direct message her through Microsoft Teams 10 minutes before. I see that she's seen the message with a red receipt. Nothing. Okay, so video chat starts and several students join the session with their cameras on. Then the dean. He gets halfway through introducing himself and Mrs. M interrupts him as he takes a brief pause and says, Excuse me, could we please have all the students turn their cameras on? I say nothing, but I put a quick message I'd already typed in anticipation in the group chat. It says, Mrs. M, I have a private situation that bars me from turning on my camera. I've contacted you individually. Just a few seconds after I send this, I get called out by name and I respond audibly. Mrs. M, I can't turn on my camera at this time. And she responds, expectations were clear and you were told multiple times about this. Every other student here managed to do it, and I expect the same out of you. 
Now, one of the cool things about having cancer is you become very familiar with the hospital staff. And if you're lucky, they're fun to talk to. During COVID, my nurses were my tethers to sanity because no one could visit me while I had my inpatient infusions. So I told one of my nurses, Amy, about the situation beforehand. She joked that if I was told to turn on my camera, I should really play up my illness. In any other situation, I would have been entirely opposed, but sweet revenge was in sight. When I replay it in my head, I imagine that anime fist-clenching thing when the protagonist resolves to get revenge. I pushed my laptop back a bit further from myself on my legs so you could see the entirety of me in my hospital regalia. Microsoft Teams will display the person currently talking as the largest image in chat. Everyone had their audio off except for me, the Dean, and Mrs. M. <laughs> so, so when I turned my camera on, I was displayed because the EKG was loudly thrumming away on max volume thanks to Amy. Silence. I said, I asked Mrs. M through email and Teams if I could opt out of having my camera on, but she insisted. I waited a beat to see if anyone would say anything, and then continued with my special vocal blend of melodramatic gratitude and illness-laden shakiness. Virtual engagement is so important for this new era of learning. I can see why having the camera on is important, though I was hoping I might be granted an exception. The dean said, OP, you're more than welcome to turn your camera off. I'm so sorry for the misunderstanding. Thank you so much for making a special exception for me. It's been a difficult week, but I feel grateful to be here. Then, two people leave the call. One was Mrs. M, and the other was Anthony, who is Mrs. M's boss. I didn't even know that he'd be there. I haven't heard from either one of them yet, but I'm awaiting a follow-up with anticipation. I'm typing this from the hospital and feeling gratitude for a lot of things. I'm here, I'm alive, and above all, this stupid disease won't stop me from putting a bully in their goddamn place. OP. <laughs> Man, just the, the mental image of you coming on, like, in a full, like, hospital robe, hooked up to machines <laughs> with the EKG beeping in the hospital, and you're like... <laughs> I'm here. Am I late? I'm so sorry. I didn't want my boss to yell at me. <laughs> Man, that's so funny. Also, I'm glad that your EKG was beeping away because it sounds like Mrs. M. Career has flatlined. Our next Reddit post is from Zero Meg. This isn't my story, but it happened to some high school classmates of mine in the late 1990s. Unfortunately, I wasn't smart enough to be a part of it. The AP Calculus class teacher had a tradition that held up for at least a decade, where if you brought your college acceptance letter, you'd be invited to his breakfast club. Essentially, instead of taking the math final exam for the year, he'd provide transportation to the local IHOP, buy everyone breakfast, and shoot the breeze together. This gesture was a popular and welcome one. After all, these were the brightest kids in school, the top 10%, including the valedictorian and the salutatorian, the captain of the debate team, and others. Taking a final exam when they were already assured their places in Ivy League schools was a pointless formality, after all. The year this story happened, however, there was a new teacher who made a big deal about how unfair the breakfast club was. Funnily enough, her name was Karen. The school's vice principal came in and told the class they would stay in the school with everyone else and take the final exam, or they would face in-school suspension. The AP calculus teacher had his hands tied. 
So, on the day of the test, Friday, the whole class came in and took their test, which consisted of a single question. What's your name? The students looked up to see a shit-eating grin on their teacher's face, and they quickly caught on. Everyone filled in their papers, submitted them, and then they went off to IHOP. Perfect test scores for everyone. By the time the weekend was over, the whole school knew the story, and Karen must have complained to the vice principal once more because he came and gave in-school suspension tickets for the entire class. It was truly an odd sight to see the school's geniuses file into the suspension room, only to find their AP calculus teacher who had volunteered for minor duties or swapped with a normal monitor or something. And he'd brought bags of bagels, cream cheese, whitefish bread, and butter for everyone serving suspension that day. Mr. Buckley, you're a legend. Our next Reddit post is from UE Loyalist. This took place back in the mid-90s. My wife and I were newly married, and our daughter was still an infant. My wife worked in healthcare as a home care nurse, traveling from house to house looking after people. However, after our daughter was born, she didn't want a job that put her on the road so much and that had shifts in the evening. So she applied to be a cleaner at the military base near our community. There are two things about our situation that are noteworthy. One is that my wife is a visible minority, and second, as a healthcare worker, she logs everything as a force of habit. The company that hired her was a national company. The base office usually had five employees. One had recently quit because her husband was moving with his military job to another part of the country, so the local boss hired my wife to replace her. The four other workers were tight. Louise was the boss, who hired her best friend, Donna, Donna's brother, Dan, and Louise's niece, Tracy. My wife was a true outsider. She immediately saw that things weren't quite on the level. Even though my wife was paid from 4 p.m. to midnight, she was home by 8 p.m. every night. She was also excluded from cleaning the buildings that housed the engineering and tenancy offices. Occasionally, when she would clean those offices, she saw her colleagues rifling through desks and filing cabinets, photocopying documents, and other shady stuff. My wife also saw Louise threaten a soldier with extra duties for not opening doors fast enough. Louise's husband was a senior NCO in the unit, but jobs were hard to find at the time, so my wife was willing to accept a little discomfort to her ethics. However, after a few months, the racial epithet started. It started with a nickname. That morphed into slurs and then rumors about her. They started telling racial jokes without trying to hide it. When my wife complained to the four of them that she was uncomfortable, she got called weak and they threatened her employment. My wife told them she would go to the head office. So she called the head office from work. Stuart from HR dressed down my wife over women's talk and she needed to thicken her skin and not be too sensitive. My wife countered that she would go to the authorities. Stuart said, no laws have been broken, so go ahead and go to the authorities. Good luck. Later that shift, my wife was fired for her attitude. So my wife went to the authorities. Not just the police. She went to the Human Rights Commission and to the military base headquarters. She gave both organizations photocopies of her logs. The human rights investigation determined that there was a work environment that tolerated racist behaviors. This garnered an apology and an acknowledgement from Stewart, with a smug comment that they will henceforth include a clause about racial sensitivity in their employee paperwork. He even made a comment to my wife that essentially this was nothing. However, behind the scenes, the base had been doing their own investigation. Some of the people in the tenancy building had reported that they suspected someone had been snooping through their desks. The date of some of their reports matched my wife's logs on the dates that she was there. 
Luis threatening a soldier was followed up on, and it was discovered that Luis's husband had chastised the soldier and arranged for him to do two weeks' extra duties. This was a violation of the Abuse of Authority statute. The contract with the base required 40 hours of service per day. The base pulled the security and key logs, showing that work was always done by 8 p.m. The base was paying for 40 hours per day and getting 20 hours of service. There was a clause in the cleaning contract that stated that federal government human rights regulations had to be followed. The results of the commission's investigation determined that they were in violation. Other bases were contacted to see what was going on with this company, and they found out that others were having similar issues. As a result, the base broke the contract with cause. It was a five-year contract broken after the second year. Luis, Donna, Dan, and Tracy were suddenly out of work. The next cleaning company came in. All personnel had to undergo vetting for security. All cleaning was done during the day to prevent people rifling through desks. 40 hours was 40 hours, and cleaners weren't authorized to engage soldiers beyond casual, how are you, conversations. My wife went back into healthcare. However, every once in a while, she wonders what Stuart thinks of women's talk now. Um, okay. I, I've never been in the military. I don't work on a military base, so I'm very unfamiliar with this. But to me, rifling through the desks of like high-ranking military officers and taking photos of their possibly classified or confidential documents sounds really, really, really sketchy and illegal. Like, what if they got brought up with actual, what, w- what would it be? Espionage? Treason? I think it's actually espionage. What's the penalty for espionage in America? Okay, so according to the internet, sharing information intended to disrupt the U.S. military interests or aid its enemies is punishable by 20 years in prison and a $20,000 fine. So like, yeah, this is, this is like a major felony. Why do it? Why? What's the point? And you're doing it while committing other crimes. So that just increases the chance that you're going to get found out for the espionage by, like, if someone finds out that you're shorting them hours or that you're being racist, then that increases the chance of an investigation, which means someone will be led to the espionage. So this is just, this is, this is idiotic. It's honestly amazing that these people didn't end up in jail. If I were, like, working as a janitor at a military base and I walked in on my coworker who was literally taking photographs of documents from some military dude's desk, I would, I would run to the authorities. Sir, I had nothing to do with this. I saw it. This is what I saw. (laughs) I am not committing treason. Please don't put me in jail for 20 years. Our next Reddit post is from TJ Maxx. I'm a 100% disabled vet, but I still wanted to work for as long as I can. I worked in a large company that contracted to many of the big oil companies. For years, I had excellent reviews and the customers loved me. My manager got promoted and one of my coworkers became my newly promoted manager. He started out fine, but then as he went through management training, he became the type of boss that people hate. He was trying to flex his muscles by using all of the usual tricks to set you up to fail so he could fire me and a couple of others. Why? I have no idea. One day at work, I had a major medical emergency that left the right half of my body with no feeling at all, completely numb. That took me out of the office for several weeks while they used steroids to try to sort out the issue. A couple of months, an MRI, and a spinal tap later, they discovered that I had multiple sclerosis. After I was diagnosed, my boss decided to pull me out of the customer site and have me work in the office. My job had zero office work. 
I spent nearly a year in the office getting paid to do stupid, mind-numbing BS while my boss tried to figure out a way to fire me. Since I had a medical issue, this proved to be very difficult, so my boss would try to assign me long-term duties, like six months, hundreds of miles away from home, knowing that I couldn't do them. He would also nitpick any menial task that I didn't perform to his liking. He knew that I couldn't travel because I have to see several doctors every month and I can only refill medications from my local veterans affairs clinic. While he was trying to fire me, I was talking to HR about my disability and how it's obvious that I could no longer perform my job for safety concerns. That was the reason that my boss pulled me into his office. I also informed HR about how the manager treated me and several other employees. HR had me do several things, including sending my medical records to a company medical doctor to make sure I was being honest, I assume. In the end, HR decided to put me on pre-approved early retirement with short and long-term disability. Now, I'll get paid from the company until I'm 67, all before my boss could get a chance to fire me. Additionally, several other workers quit around the same time as me, and a short time after I left, my boss was replaced by a different coworker. Thanks, boss. OP, my guess is that the HR people realized that giving you early retirement would have been less expensive than dealing with the inevitable lawsuit by letting this boss keep doing what he was doing, because what he was doing was super illegal against a disabled person and a veteran. If you actually sued that company and took them to court, then your boss would get ripped to shreds. That was our slash malicious compliance. And if you like this content, be sure to follow my podcast because I put out new Reddit podcast episodes every single day.